I almost forgot. I'll be right there. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From shooting hoops to the Super Bowl. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, sports fans? I'm Jordan here with my buddy Zach on We Like Sports. It's 94.3 New Haven Radio. It's great to be here, Zach. It sure is. It's been a great week in sports. Um, got the NBA playoffs. Been a really good time so far. Actually, one of the more um, exciting first rounds that we've had. So let's uh, jump into it with news. First NBA playoffs update. Raptors-Bucks split both at home, now sitting 2-2. Statement wins from both teams. That's been a really good series. Yeah, definitely been exciting to see the Bucks steal game one on the road. A lot of people jumping on that Bucks train, thinking the Bucks are going to pull off the upset. But Toronto has come back. Uh, the key for them has certainly been Kyle Lowry, who I believe is averaging somewhere over 20 points in the wins and 8 points in the losses. So Kyle Lowry seems to be the key, Zach. They play tonight in Toronto. We'll see what happens. Yeah, no doubt Kyle Lowry coming back from that wrist injury. Really, they're going to go as he goes. Um, he's the real, real catalyst for that team. Um, in other news, we have Cleveland finishing off their sweep versus the Pacers, the first series to end in this round, uh, you know, brings up some interesting questions. What does the future hold for Indiana? More importantly, has this uh, sweep been enough to kind of calm the fears that were uh, surrounding the Cavs going into the playoffs? I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know about you, Jordan. Yeah, Zach, and maybe it's something we'll talk about a little later in the show. But I mean, really interesting to see the Cavs win game one on a missed buzzer beater by Indiana, right? And everyone's saying, wow, this Indiana Pacers team really matches up well with the Cavs. Let's see if they can push them. Could this be tough for a Cavs team to go maybe six games? We know this is a Cavs team, uh, especially with an aging LeBron, perhaps having to rest his players down the stretch. This is going to be a problem um, in terms of you know the Pacers pushing the Cavs. Uh, and not only did they win four games, but um, I believe it was either last game or the game before, uh, Kyrie and, and Kevin Love didn't play the whole fourth quarter. So definitely doing a good job uh, for the Cavs. First series, impressive, uh, even though they finished in the two seed. Um, and we'll see what, what the future holds for them. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit more. There were reasons why Kyrie and Kevin Love weren't playing in that fourth quarter, perhaps out of necessity. But moving on, the Celtics are pulled even with Chicago after falling two down. The series now sits at 2-2. Interestingly, neither team has won at home yet. Celtics are looking a lot better. Bulls, uh, surprisingly, are actually really missing Rondo. No one saw that coming going into the playoffs. But, you know, that's also another really exciting series we've got. Yeah, we talked about this last week, Zach, on our show. Uh, you know, how the Celtics with Isaiah Thomas, uh, even though he put up, I believe, 33 points in that game one loss, you know, losing his sister, was that going to affect them? We saw them lose two to the Bulls. Everyone was jumping on the Bulls bandwagon. You know, the Bulls are the team that's going to pull off the upset. And we saw, I mean, of course, the loss of Rondo was huge, uh, I guess, somewhat surprisingly as well for the Bulls. But we've seen the Celtics team come roaring back, win two straight. They play again at home. Uh, and we'll see, you know, uh, if the scales have tipped for them. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Wizards leading Hawks 2-1 with a game four tonight. That's a series that, um, despite you know being 2-1 now, I don't think very many people think is going to end up being too close. Wizards just look like the better team, in my opinion. Hawks kind of struggling to figure out who they are. Dwight Howard really bringing the team down as he does. Yeah, as Dwight has tended to do uh, in recent years. And yeah, it's a Wizards team that seems to have finally found themselves, right? I mean, John Wall, Bradley Beal are really clicking, Otto Porter shooting. They, they look like a team that sort of found an identity. They figured out how to play together, and we'll see if they can make some sort of deep run in this playoffs. Yeah, now moving to the Western Conference, the uh, Warriors are looking for the sweep against the Blazers tonight. They're up 3-0 um, despite... Two good games from Portland, and really, you know, C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, giving all you could ask of your two stars. Their team just really isn't good enough, I think, to hang with this Warriors team. Um, you know, not much to say there. Yeah, definitely not much to say. Not necessarily surprising. Um, you know, people thought maybe Portland would win a game at home. Um, 
I'm, you know, that's still not off the table. But yeah, the Warriors look look good, and and perhaps a little more surprisingly in the Western Conference, the Spurs currently sit tied two two with Memphis after you know really handling them well, blowing them out in Game One. It, sit, it sits even now as the series heads back to San Antonio, Zach. Uh, and despite the fact that you know it took Memphis a buzzer beater in overtime to beat the Spurs, I mean, what do we see in this series that's suddenly tied at two two? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a Memphis team that really just has an identity, a character. It's got real veterans. I mean, obviously San Antonio does too, but you have Mark Gasol, you have. Um, you know, Zach Randolph coming off the bench. You have Mike Conley. Those are some great players that really they don't get maybe the attention that, you know, even relative to the Spurs, they don't get that much attention, which is saying a lot. But then on the other side, you see, I mean, really just Kawhi Leonard is the best player in this series, hands down. And, um, you know, his supporting cast actually, you know, I would say probably Marc Gasol and uh, Mike Conley are the next two best players in the series. But I don't know if that matters at the end of the day. I mean, I just think that Popovich is you know, one of the all-time best coaches. I think that despite the fact they're 2-2 now, even if they go, you know, to six, I don't think it really makes a big difference. This is a Spurs team that's looking really good. And, you know, a couple hiccups in the first round, I don't think are going to make a big difference. Yeah, Zach, I totally agree. And that, I mean, moving down the Western Conference, uh, Rockets Thunder, a series I thought was going to be very tight uh, in terms of at least this MVP race. You know, you really... Uh, you were very high on the Rockets, saying they're definitely the better team. And we've seen kind of... We've definitely seen that from the Rockets. The Rockets currently... Up 3-1 on the Thunder after winning yesterday in Oklahoma City. They'll come back to Houston. Uh, And, I mean, it's been an interesting series, right? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has. We've had Russell Westbrook putting up three straight triple-doubles, including the only ever 50-point triple-double in NBA playoff history. You know, some historic numbers as he's done all season. But those three triple-doubles, only one of them came in a win. Um, And especially, you know, his team kind of wasted a 50-point triple-double. They still lost that game. Although Westbrook also, I think, went four of eighteen in the fourth quarter of that game, so you know he's been keeping them in and out of games at the same time. You know he kind of is the whole team as he has been all year. But really, I think the the um, Rockets are just a team with a star, but they have a system. They are a team, and I think it's going to win. You know, yeah, pretty I, pretty easily. I saw a stat for Westbrook that I believe this playoffs he's been plus or the the Thunder rather have been plus three with Westbrook on the court and minus forty with him off the court. Um, maybe Leon can check that. I mean, that's definitely an interesting statistic to tell you how an important he is at least in the playoffs or how important he's been to this team. Although I think that you know we talked a little bit last week about statistics not always telling the full story. I think we talked about stat chasing. We talked about him kind of perhaps taking on too much of a role and them not. Uh, maximizing their talent i think that might play a part but definitely interesting uh thing to see for them yeah i mean the thing to me the biggest thing about that is russell westbrook has not been empowering his teammates so i think when he is off the court they're not in a groove they're not kind of they don't feel like they can take over and hold the lead you know you saw i think it was last game he was on the bench i think there was one bad possession or something he's already barking at billy donovan put me back in and you know that's just that you're not going to feel good as a bench player you know when that's what's happening and you know your teammate your star doesn't trust you and so i think there are bigger problems than just saying the bench is bad he, or everybody else is bad and russell westbrook is good but that being said yeah it's just not a good enough team for him yeah i mean westbrook definitely a competitor um i think it goes both ways and then moving to the last series in the west which actually might have you know more implications for the teams themselves than necessarily playoff implications uh the clippers are currently tied 2-2 with the jazz um joe johnson's really been you know a star of the series averaging 19 points uh so far after averaging nine the whole season um rudy gobert missed a couple games but he's actually scheduled to play in game five uh and the clippers lost Blake griffin so i mean how do we how do we disentangle this zach what, what do we think about this series yeah i mean it's an interesting series i think 
you know, we have the Clippers running on their constant treadmill of 50 wins, you know, first or second round playoff exit. And there's, there's the question of, does it even matter in the grand scheme of things? Um, you know, they win this series, they'll lose to the Warriors, probably get swept, maybe win one or two games. But then you really have an up-and-coming Utah Jazz team that I think they're the much more exciting story here. A team that has an interesting mix of young players, players in their prime, older veterans, um, but, you know, star Rudy Gobert, still pretty young. Gordon Hayward, I think, you know, 26 or so. Um, just that, I think this is a team that I'm looking for them to win this series and make the next series with Golden State competitive. Probably not win, almost certainly not win, but win one or two games, make the other ones look close, and have everyone buy in to play again next year. Gordon Hayward going to be a free agent. A lot of people are worried he might leave. But, you know, I think if he sees the promise of this team as a potential contender, then he would want to stay. They can keep building. I think they have a foundation of a really good team. I think they right now are a really good team. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I think I think that's the way kind of it swings for both teams, right? I mean, we think, you know, no matter which team wins the series, they're not going to necessarily compete against the Warriors. And then so the question is, what does this mean for each team, right? So, I mean, I'm sure this is something we'll talk about a little bit later. Is this, you know, time for the Clippers to kind of break up the big three or at least move one major piece? Uh, is the Jazz team for real now? They're going to resign. They're going to add a piece in the offseason and really make a push to be a competitor in the Western Conference. I think that's kind of what this series is telling us a little more than, you know, perhaps one of these teams making a deep run uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on to baseball, we have the Nationals going on a seven-game winning streak while the Mets have lost seven of their last eight games. Really a shift in the dynamic of the um, NL East. Uh, you know, I know you must not be happy with this, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, the Mets have lost a lot of really close games recently. I think there was a stretch where they lost four in a row uh, in extra innings or on a walk-off. So really tough times for the Mets. They're dealing with a lot of injuries, uh, but it is interesting. I mean, for the Nationals to sweep the Mets at home, uh, and the Mets lose 7 of 8. I mean, the Mets only sit at, I think, 8 and 11 now, so not terrible considering they've lost 7 of their last 8, but uh, people always have this you know, tendency to focus on the late-season games, but the early-season games, especially against your division opponents, matter just as much. Uh, and so definitely interesting to see. You know, It already puts the Mets in a pretty deep hole. Yeah, I mean, it's a long season, but certainly not the place you want to be in at the start. Uh, moving on, the Yankees have won eight straight in the last week and the Giants are sitting at a surprising six and 13 and have lost Madison Bumgarner for several months. So, you know, not looking too good there. Um, I can't say I feel too bad for the Giants as a more or less Dodgers fan. Yeah. I mean, the Giants have definitely had, uh, had their victories in past seasons, right? I mean, they won three championships in the last six years, uh, but definitely um, a big blow to them to lose Bumgarner. They sit pretty low considering they were supposed to be competing for the NL West. And then on the flip side, you know, you mentioned the Yankees winning eight straight. The Yankees competing in a very competitive division, right? With the likes of the Orioles who got off to a hot start, the Blue Jays, who we mentioned last week, got off to a cold start, but a very good team and a very good Red Sox team. So see the Yankees win eight straight means, I mean, the AL East must be the, you know, division that's probably the toughest division, but the division, uh, you know, to watch uh, throughout the season. Um, and also, you know, a final note, um, Mookie Betts, the outfielder on the Red Sox, had a streak of 128 plate appearances, uh, which dates back to last year, I believe last September, without a strikeout, come to an end this past week. Um, it's a remarkable streak, uh, not just because of the, the number itself, but, you know, baseball being defined more and more recently by higher strikeout numbers as players try to hit more home runs. Um, just an impressive thing to see a player go 128 times without striking out. It's something they try to teach when you're young, right? I mean, striking out's the worst thing you can do on the field. So, I mean, impressive for Mookie Betts. Yeah, always sad to see a streak like that come to an end. Moving on to football, we have the NFL draft coming up in three days. Really, you know, always an exciting time. This looks like it's actually a pretty good draft, despite not really having maybe the foundational superstar, at least at the quarterback position that you kind of look for in you know the more 
big name drafts, but we have, you know, really interesting players like Miles Garrett coming out of Texas A&M. Uh, he seems like the consensus number one pick, but then there's Leonard Fournette, Mitch Trubisky, Jabril Peppers, a lot of really exciting people should be should be interesting. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, Zach, with the NFL draft right, you know, coming around the corner, this is really one of the more exciting times of year in sports, right? When we have NHL and NBA playoffs, we have the baseball season in full swing, and we get a little taste of football. So definitely exciting. Uh, the draft should be interesting. I think it has big implications for a bunch of teams. And as you mentioned, it's interesting. There's no consensus. I mean, though Miles Garrett might be the consensus number one pick, you know, based on... Um, you know, draft order and such. There's no consensus, you know, star player coming out, no star quarterback um, to be drafted, uh, or even, you know, an Agent Peterson type running back. So it should be interesting to see, you know, the decisions teams make and the implications of the future. Um, but on a sadder note, actually, uh, Aaron Hernandez, who you guys might remember, on the Patriots tight end who played a couple seasons alongside Gronk, they're really a dominant tight end duo, uh, after being convicted, um, for felonies and certainly serving a life sentence in jail did commit suicide this week uh and regardless of your opinions on him as a person you know really don't want to do it always sad to see uh something like that happen in the sports world so worth mentioning for uh the, the listeners at home yeah certainly um all right we have our next section now winners and losers for those of you at home listening who maybe haven't tuned in before winners and losers is we each pick one winner one loser from the last week in the sports world and uh, dive in a little deeper into them. So, Jordan, who's your first winner? Zach, I'll tell you, tennis does not get a lot of love on our show, and that's fine. It's a great sport. Uh, I really only watch it four times a year, you know, for the Grand Slams. But let's talk a little tennis. Serena Williams is pregnant, number one, and she won a Grand Slam while being pregnant. Incredibly impressive, right, winning the Aussie Open. Um, she's now ranked number one in the world, and although that might change uh, based on, um, you know, matches to be played uh in the coming days. But I mean, it's incredibly impressive when you imagine, you know, Serena Williams, not only being the most dominant figure in her sport uh, over the last several years, but doing it while pregnant. I mean, just a burden that I can't imagine dealing with. Uh, and kudos to her. It's, it's impressive. And congratulations on the future baby. That's yeah, a great pick, Jordan. I'm glad you thought outside of the box a little bit. Um, you know, really just, I mean, I, I don't know if I necessarily have the perspective to make this statement, but you know, one of just the greatest athletes in the world, um, you know, most dominant at her sport, uh, really just incredible. My winner is um, LeBron James. As we talked about a little bit earlier, in Game 3, neither Kevin Love nor Kyrie Irving played in the entire fourth quarter. That was because at halftime, the Cavs were down by 25, and LeBron engineered the greatest comeback in NBA playoff history at halftime. Um, With 28 second-half points and finishing with a triple-double, basically taking over for the whole team, kind of the, the two offensive fulcrums, in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, both being benched for more supportive players as LeBron basically just dominated the whole game and really just showed that he is truly still one of the greatest, probably the greatest player in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable to see that kind of performance from LeBron. I think it bodes well for Cavs fans who might have had some doubts towards the end of the season, right? And we saw some streaks the Cavs went through, some cold streaks. They lost a bunch of games in a row. You know, we saw them, you know, after being really expected as an understatement, you know, to win the the number one, to finish number one in the East. We saw them finish two. So maybe a lot of doubts. But I think the LeBron performance might show Cavs fans and show the NBA. uh, LeBron still got it. You know, he might have been resting himself, but, you know, it was for performances like these. Yeah, I don't know. Simultaneously, it also, I think if I was a Cavs fan, I'd be a little worried that they needed to do that. You know, they went down 25 with their starters playing with, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love more or less healthy. You know, they have their full team and they yet still are relying on LeBron's individual brilliance instead of kind of team performance. So I'd be a little worried, actually, if I were them. It's definitely a good point. Uh, I see what you're saying. I mean, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how things shape out. Um, in the next series, presumably playing, you know, playing the uh, the Raptors or the Bucks, it'll be interesting to see how you know these starters who weren't performing so well rebound. Um, 
I personally think it's you know it, it bodes well, but I, I definitely hear your point. And I'll, I'll give you my loser for the week, Zach. We mentioned briefly. I think the San Francisco Giants are my loser. Uh, sure, they're off to a bad start, but they lost Madison Bumgarner in a dirt biking accident. Right, Madison Bumgarner, superstar pitcher, lost in a dirt biking accident. I read an article earlier saying. This, this Bumgarner incident uh, might actually be the end of an era for the Giants, right? I mean, we're looking at a Giants team that won uh, three World Series, you know, 2010, 2012, 2014, made the playoffs most of those years. Um, and this injury kind of being a shift, in, in, you know, he's going to miss two months. So, you know, that's going to be definitely tough to overcome this season. And, and this might be a shift of an era for the Giants and, and tough for Giants fans who might have gotten used to consistent success. Yeah, you know, really a shame you never like to see, you know, a great player in any sport get injured. But, you know, you also don't want to see him doing stupid things like riding a dirt bike in season. So, you know, my loser is um, Blake Griffin, another another injured player, unable to stay healthy for the second straight year in the playoffs. Um, I think the injury was a smashed toe, something with the patellar plate. I don't know, but (laughs) uh, out for the playoffs. Really unfortunate for the second straight year. Um, Really just adding to the misery that has been the Clippers in spite of consistent regular season success something or another has come has conspired to kind of just ruin their playoffs for years and years and um you know not good news as he approaches free agency in the summer you know really has a long list of injuries at this point i read recently i don't think he's played more than 67 games since the 2013 2014 season that's not a good bill of health for a star player and you know makes teams probably think twice before offering him the max contract they otherwise would yeah, it's like I got to tell you, I expected a little better insight from a prospective medical school student on the injury, but I'll give you a pass. I got to say, it's I mean, it's sad for several different parties in this instance, right? I mean, Blake Griffin, you got to think Blake Griffin as an individual. I mean, you play the whole NBA season to play in the playoffs, right? That's the ultimate goal. It's not just to win accolades in the regular season to, you know, finish high in the standings. It's to play in the playoffs. And now this is two years in a row, he doesn't get that opportunity. So definitely a loss for him and a loss for the Clippers and Clippers fans. I mean, you know, regardless of whether you can make the argument, maybe they'll be better off without Blake, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they lost a star player, a player who they wanted to see play. Um, you know, I, I think it's a loss for several parties uh, and, and pretty unfortunate for, for, you know, Clipper Nation. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, the numbers I've actually shown that they're pretty good without Blake Griffin. But nonetheless, like, you can't go into the playoffs not whole and feel right about what happened. You know, they're going to lose to the Warriors if they make it out of the series. But there'll always be that nagging question, what if we had Blake Griffin? What if, you know, we were, we were whole? we would know that our team isn't good enough. Now we yet again have another reason why we you know, couldn't get there. Yeah, that's a good point. Always kind of this, uh, this unending sense of doubt, Zach. Uh, but thanks for the winners and losers, Zach. Let's, let's move on to, I mean, I think it's both of our favorite segments, the hot clock. For all the listeners out there who are not familiar with the hot clock, Zach and I have each prepared a list of questions that we have not seen. We will each ask the other person a question and have one minute to make our case. Zach, would you like to go first? Yes, I would. Let's switch gears a little bit to a sport that, you know, we don't talk about much on this on this show, soccer. Your favorite team, Jordan, Arsenal, pulled out a huge win against Man City in the FA Cup semifinals this weekend. Um, for those who, who maybe don't follow soccer overseas or here, um, unlike major American sports, soccer has league champ- the league champion as well as various cup tournaments such as the FA Cup, Champions League, Europa, and more. Um, can you speak to what winning the FA Cup means both in general and specifically for a team like Arsenal, um, do the teams really care? Is it different for a team like Arsenal currently in seventh place in their league versus a team like Chelsea, who they're going to be playing in the finals, who is currently at the top of the Premier League? 
Sure, Zach. So, say, I mean, the FA Cup definitely matters. Teams take it seriously. It's a major trophy. Uh, and in terms of, you know, teams talk about major trophy droughts, they're including tournaments like the FA Cup. So, I think it's important for both Chelsea and Arsenal. That being said, I think with Chelsea sitting uh, near the top of the table, I do expect it to be more important. That's not to say Arsenal will win. I expect it to be more important for Arsenal. Um, that being said, I think a win in the FA Cup, you know, we've talked briefly about the future of Arsene Wenger, the Arsenal. Arsenal manager, I think winning this FA Cup does not do enough for that, right? I mean, they went two years in a row. I believe it was must have been 2014, 2015. They won two FA Cups in a row. So, I mean, that's that's a huge step for a team. Very exciting. I mean, it's exciting to make a cup run. That being said, if they don't finish inside the top four, which they've actually done every season under Arsene Wenger, I think the season's ultimately a failure despite that trophy, right? I mean, so you see these kind of lower-tier teams. If they make a run, uh, it's the FA Cup final. So, I mean, Arsenal uh, had beat Aston Villa and Hull City, you know, a couple of years ago teams like that i think it matters a lot more too but if arsenal can't finish top four i don't think this season's a success that being said the main takeaway is teams do take these cups seriously the fa cup especially it's every single soccer team in england playing in it i think it'll be important and it's an exciting final hopefully uh, thanks for that insight what do you got yeah zach i'll give you insight anytime zach I, I feel like i'm beating a dead horse here by bringing this up over and over again but i want to talk a little bit about this madison Bumgarner dirt bike incident right i mean Bumgarner has this accident he hurts his ribs he sprains his shoulders he's gonna miss at least two months right and this is a, this is a superstar pitcher this is not an average athlete and so this is also not the first time we've necessarily seen athletes get hurt in ridiculous off the field incidents right i mean there was a lot of speculation last year you ran a cespedes the uh, star mets outfielder hurt himself and was it related to him playing golf every morning before the games i'm not sure but my question to you is should restrictions be placed on athletes in order to prevent injuries like these you know that that's a tough one i lean towards yes in certain circumstances there are high risk activities such as you know riding a motorcycle dirt biking different things that you just statistically have come with a greater chance of injury even you know not severe but an injury that for an athlete would be severe um, take you out of the sport and when you're when you're paying a player millions of dollars to to play and you're trying to win a championship you know i think that they need to be cognizant of what that means and that this injury isn't just to them but it's to a whole team to a fan base to you know a whole city and i think that yeah there there should be some sort of you know perhaps thing in the contract that says these are certain activities you're not allowed to do i'm pretty sure the nba actually banned the, the uh, hoverboards or whatever the word for them is um so I, I, there are things that just you know a high chance of you know falling and hurting something that i do think yeah it's fair to fair to restrict yeah i, mean, I definitely agree i go back and forth you know because on the one hand i say there's no reason i mean this is stupid that athletes are doing this right i mean Athletes have to recognize, you know, how important they are to their team. Stars are not. I mean, why are you dirt biking in the middle of the season? It's one thing to do in the off season. Uh, the flip side of that is, though, I mean, these are still people, right? I mean, how much do you let their jobs rule their lives? Uh, I mean, the trade-off is Madison Bumgarner is making several million dollars, and I'm not, right? So, I mean, that, that's the difference there. I think there should needs to be some sort of regulation. I think it's kind of murky waters. What are you, what are you regulating? What are you uh, inhibiting? Um, when is it inhibited? You know, exactly where are the rules? But, but I definitely agree because I think it's, it's sad for the players, sad for the sport to see a star go down, and, and unfair to the teams, especially in baseball with a lot of guaranteed money being thrown around. It's not an NFL-type thing where, you know, you're played based on, you know, how you play and how you perform and incentives, such like that. Baseball is mainly guaranteed money. So uh, definitely difficult for, you know, the Giants. You know, Bumgarner is going to sit on the DL and make some money. Um, so definitely tough for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where collective bargaining comes in. It's the kind of thing that needs to be negotiated between the players and the owners. I don't think that owners should have a right to just say what players can or can't do. It should not be unilateral. 
But that being said, I think the owners should be pushing for more restrictions and kind of letting the players, you know, negotiate what works and what doesn't. But I do think there has to be something. Definitely agree. All right, my next question for you. The NFL draft, as we mentioned, is coming up. I was looking at a few mock drafts, and um, some people have the Jets taking quarterback Mitch Trubisky out of North Carolina. Uh, a couple other drafts I saw have him going earlier, very few. Most have him going later in the first round, rel- you know, second half, bottom of the first round. Um, what do you think of the Jets, and should they draft yet another quarterback with an early pick, having already used two second pick, two second round picks and a fourth round pick in the last three years on quarterbacks? Sure, Zach, it's a good question. I've actually thought about it a bit. I'm definitely not, you know, Jets management. I'm not making the decision. If I'm the Jets, though, I'm wholeheartedly opposed to drafting a quarterback. First of all, we have a couple of guys out there that could really change our team. Uh, the first one that I've seen a lot of people throw on is O.J. Howard, right? A guy who, you know, is a great receiver, uh, a great run blocker, especially you think about that Alabama system. Um, a guy who could potentially, I mean, I don't mean to throw names out there, but be a Gronk-esque player, maybe not to that level, but a guy who's just a matchup nightmare in the passing game and has very good abilities running. So I like them to take him. On the flip side, we're looking at a Jets team that has consistently drafted quarterbacks and then not even played them, right? I mean, it, it would be one thing, you know, this year if the Jets drafted Mitch Trubisky, who's, of course, not a superstar, not, you know, the Mark Sanchez. You know, when they drafted Mark Sanchez, he was really, you know, the, the next big thing. I mean, what would it mean to just start Mitch Trubisky as a rookie and, and you know, have him go, you know, just free for all, see what he does? I don't know. I mean, they also drafted Christian Hackenberg in the second round last year. He saw almost no time, right? So, I mean, what for me, it's why continue to waste draft picks on people who you're not even going to play on lower-level quarterbacks. We're not looking at a superstar this year. For me, I think it's silly for them. I think they can build a team uh, around a different quarterback. I think it would be a waste of a pick, despite you know, not to take away from Trubisky. I think he's a good player. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a sixth overall pick. That's a pretty valuable selection. You know, I think it's some, there's something to be said for the strategy of, draft a bunch of quarterbacks in the you know the second to fourth round range and hope one pans out you know Russell Wilson style but this is a sixth overall pick that's not just taking a flyer that's investing a lot in a player that you know is by no means a guarantee yeah I mean the question is too Jets management pretty consistently has said you know they're out there to draft the best player available and that's something that I think is interesting that not a lot of teams necessarily do a lot of teams maybe look for a player that's a good fit with their system fills a need and so I mean we saw the Jets have had a strong defense for I mean almost 10 years now, probably a little less, closer to eight. They've had one of the top defenses in the league. Uh, And we're looking at, you know, the Jets consistently continuing to draft defensive players. You know, they drafted Leonard Williams recently, despite having a front seven, you know, with Muhammad Wilkerson, um, you know, Quinton Copels at the time who they drafted early, Sheldon Richardson. So definitely interesting, uh, you know, Jets strategy-wise. I hope they don't take Trubisky, I agree. Uh, But then again, I can't say I'd be surprised if they did. Yeah, no surprises with the Jets, except maybe success. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's one way to put it, Zach, way to just knock me down a couple pegs. Zach, my question (laughs) for you here is, uh, we talked briefly about the Spurs-Grizzlies series, and the Grizzlies, I mean, are looking to make it a deep series, right? A lot of people thought maybe it'd end in four or five games. It's going to go, right, to at at least six games. So while, you know, sure, the Spurs will probably win, what impact do you think this will have, if any, on the Spurs making a deeper run in the playoffs, right, in terms of the Spurs being pushed physically this series? Does that take away from them playing down the stretch? Or, I mean, the playoffs, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I think that, you you know, we saw this last year with the Warriors. You know, when you can play physical, when you can just make a team go through difficult games where they're, you know, really forced to expend energy and effort and physicality to win, like the Spur- or, I mean, like the Grizzlies do, you know, they play big, they play strong, they play tough, and they play well, then yeah, I think that tires a team out, especially looking at a Spurs team that, Minus Kawhi Leonard, most of their important players are, you know, really 
on the on the decline in their career the last few years you know you got Tony Parker Manu Pau Gasol you know they're they're not going to be playing five years from now if they are it's going to be very very small roles um you know you have Patty Mills and Marcus Aldridge also important players who are younger and you know able to handle that burden but yeah I think you don't want to be tiring out your you know veterans early on and that's unfortunately what the Grizzlies are doing to the Spurs you know if this goes to seven games they're going to go into their next series pretty tired um, you know, likely against the Rockets. The Rockets are a really fresh team that likes to run. Um, so yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it bodes well for the Spurs if the Grizzlies can actually keep pushing it. If it ends in six, and the next two games are relatively easy for the Spurs, I think it will have been fine. But it doesn't look like the Grizzlies are ready to go out um, on a whimper. Yeah, it's an interesting point, and we've talked about the Spurs being an older team. I mean, last year, you know, getting run out by the Thunder. I mean, it's an interesting question because we talk on the one hand about the NBA playoffs being so long and perhaps too long, too many off days, et cetera. And then on the other hand, we say, you know, there is this effect, you know, to teams playing deep series, uh, that catching up with them down the stretch. So, I, I mean, it's an interesting dichotomy, um, you know, to keep in mind as, as we watch the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say about the series is I think it's really, the thing it's proven to me most is that Dave Fisdale was a really good hire. I think he's shown to be a really good coach for this team. The players really seem to love him. I know they paid for his fine that he got for speaking out against the refs recently. Um, so, you know, and he's really taking a team that's significantly worse than the Spurs and making it competitive game in and game out, minus game one. So good for him. Um, my next question for you, last uh, sports-related question, is so as I see it, there are three series in this year's first-round playoffs that are you know still up in the air. You have the Clippers and the Jazz, the Bucks and the Raptors, and the Bulls and the Celtics. If you had to bet on one of them, what outcome would you bet on? Uh, I'd probably bet on the Celtics, Zach. I mean, end of the day, I think that 4-5 uh, Clippers-Jazz matchup is very, very close. It's going to be tough tough to call, not just because it's 4-5. It's a close series, right? It's already sitting at 2-2. Bucks Raptors, I think I, I really have no idea what's going to happen as we sit two two. I mean, we've seen the Bucks really play incredibly well against the Raptors, and we've seen them get blown out. And I think the Bucks have a lot of talent. They're well coached by Jason Kidd. Do I think the Raptors are ultimately better? Yes. That being said, I think the fact that they won on the road shows the Bucks can win this series. So I feel a little bit less confident about that. The reason I would bet on the Celtics is I think that as of right now, that series looks like the tide has turned. Right? I mean, sure they lost their first two at home, but they just won two on the road. We're now looking uh, at them playing a Bulls team without Rondo. It looks like the Celtics have figured things out, uh, and this could go to seven games. But then again, I think you know very easily the Celtics could you know win two in a row and, and take it from the Bulls. So we'll see. I think all interesting series. I think the Bulls, you know, with Jimmy Butler, despite losing Russian Rondo, have the capabilities to take the Celtics to seven, maybe win the series. Uh, but that's that's the series I'd feel most confident about. Yeah, I have to say I think I agree. I mean, obviously Clippers, Clippers, Jazz, I coin flip to me. Right. Um, and um, probably same with Bucks Raptors, but yeah, this the Celtics series. The Celtics really seem to have um, kind of figured things out. You know, maybe emotionally stabilized a little bit. Rondo, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back. I think he has a broken finger, but he's one of the toughest guys in the NBA. Has played through dislocated elbows and you know various other. I'm pretty sure he finished a game on a torn ACL once. Wow, he's he's tough. Yeah. So I think he'll be back and you know hopefully able to continue being the great rondo that we've seen i saw for two games after a few years of you know bad rondo yeah definitely excited although i mean the celtics definitely the biggest uh talent differential with the bulls right? i mean not just one eight seed but we know the celtics are a good team uh but it'll be interesting i mean hopefully it's an entertaining series um it'd be a shame for the series to start off this way and then kind of end in a couple blowouts but that being said zach i'll give you my last sports related question uh which has to do with the nfl draft so the browns have five picks 
and then top 65 and 11 picks overall, which is uh, pretty historic um, in terms of number of picks, especially number of top picks, right? And so my question to you is, will this draft fundamentally reshape the Browns in the sense that can they build themselves for success in one draft? Are they going to be a new team next year with all these top picks? Or are we going to see a couple more years of, you know, bottom of the league, no success, maybe winning a game or two? Uh, or does this draft really have the potential to totally reshape them? Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen in the NBL, I'm sorry, <laughs> in the NFL, that, um, you know, the draft, I think, is more is extremely important. Free agency seems to be kind of a loser's game in the NFL more so than in other sports. Um, so, yeah, I think this draft is huge for the Browns. Um, you know, obviously, they have the first overall pick. They, you know, were absolutely abominable last year, just terrible. Um, I think they can only get better, obviously. But I do think this draft is going to be so important for them to pick up all this talent that they, you know, really need. They're just, they lack in talent in so many ways. You know, they have a good coach now. They, I think, you know, they still obviously lack a quarterback that they can rely on. And I don't think they're getting that in this draft. But I think they could be one of those teams that builds a great foundation and makes themselves ready. I don't think they're going to, you know, they're not making the playoffs next year. They're not going to be good by any kind of standard definition of that word. But I think, you know, they can start to build a foundation. You maybe have a couple more seasons where they're not so good, you know, get very good draft picks. Maybe one of those ends up being a quarterback that they can rely on for, you know, many years. And now they already have all this talent to surround them with. They grow together. I think they're in a really good place to rebuild. That being said, I don't expect them to be good anytime soon. So end of the day, though, I mean, you don't think this draft is the end-all, be-all. You think they still need a couple more years of drafts in order to reshape their team? Um, yeah. I mean, I think you still need a quarterback. I think that's the most important thing and kind of the, the universal truth in football is if you don't have a quarterback, you're not good. Right. Um, you know, you can have a great team, but if, you're, if you don't have a reliable quarterback, you're just not going to get where you want to go. And I don't think that quarterback is in this draft or at least if he is, I don't think they're taking him. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think this draft will f- redefine the team. But I think it'll be a really important note in building the team. Follow-up question. If you're a guy like Miles Garrett, right, the consensus number one pick, are you kind of disappointed you have to go to Cleveland? right? I mean, you know you're going to Cleveland. It's not even like a who are the Browns going to take. They're not trading that pick. You know you're going to Cleveland. Does that suck? Yeah, I think it does. I mean... You know, obviously, it's your dream to be the number one pick no matter what. I think that's like that's awesome. That's all you could want. But, yeah, I mean, the number two pick is going to San Francisco. The number three is going to Chicago. Those seem like much more fun places to live, much better places to live. Um, you know, not particularly better teams, which, um, you know, I think the Browns, though, have this just history of dysfunction and sadness around them and doesn't seem like an environment that I would really want to be a part of, unlike the 49ers in Chicago that have these proud histories. Um, so yeah, I, I do think, you know, you're happy to be the number one pick. You're a little sad that it's Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the Browns have had drafts in the past where they've had, you know, a, a large number of picks or a disproportionate number of picks. And obviously it hasn't necessarily panned out. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see where things go. Zach, as you mentioned, you had your last sports question uh, to the listeners at home. Zach and I like to ask each other one you know, relatively personal question, you know, give you guys a window into, you know, the lives of Jordan and Zach. So, Zach, I eagerly await uh, your last hot clock question. All right, Jordan, we know that you like sports, but this year you've become very into gambling on sports. Um, so we've got a little three-part question about your newfound gambling um, hobby. hobby, let's say. First, how has gambling changed the way you view sports? What have you learned about sports from gambling? And what's your favorite sport to gamble on? 
Okay, Zach. So I'll, I'll kind of go random order. Favorite sport to gamble on, I think, is football. I think it's the most predictable, at least numbers-wise. I mean, you th- you look at sports like basketball. I actually had a pretty good season betting on college basketball. But, I mean, let's say you're betting a spread five points. We know with fouling at the end of the game, the margin of victory can change drastically despite how close the game is. I think football, the points are worth a little more, right? We see, uh, and they're more predictable in terms of point totals. I think football is my favorite sport. What have I learned from Gambling, I think I've learned how unpredictable sports is. I mean, you can, you know, look pick the best team to win on a given night and they they, they lose, right? I mean, regardless of the sport, regardless of its football, uh, or regardless of, you know, basketball where teams play really well, um, teams lose a lot more often than you think, despite the fact that they might be going against a much weaker opponent and playing at home. Uh, other question is, what's, what's the other question? The other question is, um, how has it changed the way you view sports? How has it changed the way I view sports? Uh, it hasn't changed necessarily my fundamental interaction with sports in the sense that I, I like the same sports. I still watch the same amount of sports. Actually, perhaps I watch a little bit more sports. Um, I think in terms of viewing it, uh, I perhaps view it a little more statistically, um, but I actually view it as more unpredictable in, in the vein of what I said before. Um, I think we have, you know, we when you look at kind of holistic trends, you know, sports might be predictable. We might have predicted, the, you know, the Warriors Spurs to finish one two in the West, but uh, we might not have predicted exactly when they would lose those games along the way. So I think it's it's more unpredictable, a little more fun. Uh, that being said, all those amateur gamblers out there, definitely stay away from uh, betting with your heart because that is the number one thing. That's the worst thing to do. Uh, so thank you, Zach, for you know bringing my newfound hobby, which I, I will say I have been enjoying um, to light. Zach, I'll give you uh, my question, which is, I mean, we know you're a big basketball fan. We know you're a big Lakers fan. Yes. And uh, you're actually going to have the opportunity to move out to Los Angeles, go to med school UCLA. So it's going to be a good time. Now, my question is, when you're making the big bucks as a doctor out in Los Angeles, if and you have season tickets, how many games a season will you go see the Lakers? Oh, man. I mean... I don't even I don't even know how much season tickets cost. I don't think I'm gonna be making it. You have them. It, they were given to you, bequeathed to you. Oh, if I have them. But how many? Are you, I'm I'm just saying hypothetically, how many them, games a season do you go to? Um, probably thirty five. Maybe you know, give the other six away to you know family members or friends. You know, hopefully I have two, so I can take someone with me. But you do, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think I would go to as many as I could, especially if they're good. I mean, obviously, if it was a season like last season, you know, probably more like 20, 25. But if they're, if they're competitive, I mean, I, I love basketball. Going to a basketball game live is just so much fun, um, especially when it's your, your team. You know, and also just getting to see the other great players. Um, it's, just, it's really just such a treat. I think it's a great sport to watch live, um, as, you know, assuming they're not nosebleed <laughs> season tickets. Um, it's, you know, a lot a lot of fun to be there. It's not like football games I've found can almost sometimes be hard to like follow the action. There's so much misdirection and you know, that's such a part of it. And I just think, um, you know, obviously baseball is really fun to go to just to an event, but I think for the sport itself, you know, like a intense slam dunk in person, just carry is it's, much more visceral. I would go to as many games as I could. Yeah, I mean, 35 games, a lot of games. You consider there's 41 home games in a season. Uh, so that's, I mean, definitely impressive, you know, telling us to your sports fandom. My question is, though, I mean, those last six games, are you selling them? Are you giving them to your family? Are we making a buck on this? What are we doing? If I have enough money to buy the tickets and not worry about it, I'm not selling them. I'm using them as, you know, gifts for people who mean something to me. Um, but, you know, I mean, I... I don't know. That's yeah. I would I would want to give them to people who matter. You know. 
Yeah. Let my, let my parents go to a game. Let you know my sister go. Well, all you basketball fans, uh, make sure you keep Zach's phone number in your contacts because he's willing to give away Lakers tickets uh, when he's got them. So definitely keep that uh, in the back of your mind as you look to try to go to basketball games for free. Zach, now let's jump into uh, a little deeper. I mean, we, we kind of ran through the NBA playoffs in our headline section. So much going on. But, I mean, let's dive into perhaps a couple series, uh, talk about some takeaways. Uh, Zach, I mean, what series would you like to talk about first? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the the Bulls-Celtics maybe a little too much, but I just want to ask one question about it. Um, you know, there's obviously the question, is Rondo actually good? Is he still good? But my, my question is, do two great games, you know, difference-making games in the postseason justify an entire season of not only poor play, but really poor behavior? We saw those Instagrams he posted uh, midseason kind of calling out the vets on his team, calling out Dwayne Wade, calling out Jimmy Butler, comparing them to you know Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, those guys, and just really kind of dragging them on the internet and just kind of sulking as Rondo tends to do lately. But does this difference making in the playoffs justify that? Yeah, I mean, so two questions. I mean, is Rondo still good? I don't know. I always think the argument, you know, are, are you know, are the Bulls actually a good team? I think it's hard when you come to the playoffs to make those judgment calls. I mean, we see it like in you know the NCAA tournament. Like, is this you know double digit seed for real? I mean, they're playing very well, you know, good basketball at this time, and that's what counts, right? So, is he still good? You know, I'm not sure. Is he having a great time? I'm not sure. Uh, rather, is he, is he playing really well? In terms of you know, do a couple of good games justify a whole season? I think it's a little more complicated, but my gut tells me no, right? I mean, I look at it like this. Let's say the Bulls go on right now, win the NBA Finals. Rondo plays really well, justifies an entire season of misery, right? That being said, let's say they push the Celtics to seven, but, you know, better than I think a lot of people might have expected coming in, and they lose. I don't really think it justifies it because, I mean, there's several things you can take away. One, let's say Rondo plays better during the season, forgetting, you know, the personal antics. Rondo plays better, they get a higher seed, now they have a chance to make a deeper playoff run. Uh, despite what you think about maybe, you know, the Bulls matching up with the Celtics, I think that's, you know, a higher seed, you probably have a better chance of making a deep playoff run. Uh, and I think you definitely can understate... Uh, you know, the, the importance of locker room dynamics uh, in a team. I mean, sp- you know, standings aside, I mean, this is these guys' jobs, right? I mean, they, they spend their whole, you know, lot, not their whole lives. I mean, they're, they, you know, their entire, they devote their time to this. I mean, if it, if it sucks for, you know, guys like Jimmy Butler or veterans like Dwayne Wade or whoever, you know, uh, Rondo's calling out, I mean, that sucks. It's an entire season kind of thrown away. Uh, so I'm curious to hear what you think about it. Uh, but I also definitely think it depends on how, you know, how far the Bulls end up going. Yeah, I mean, I like your point. Obviously, if they win the title, you know, you look back to kind of those old the Kobe Shaq Laker teams. By all accounts, that was not a fun team to be on. You know, Kobe just being you know an asshole to everyone, yelling, kind of getting on everyone's case. He and Shaq not getting along. Shaq not really setting the example with you know work ethic necessarily. Um, but they won three titles, so I I don't think anyone can complain. Um, but yeah, you're I I agree. I think two games is not enough. You know the injury is really unfortunate, but even one series not enough. Um, you know, I just think if you're actually that good, just show it. Try. I get Dwayne Wade kind of saving it for the playoffs. He's old. He, I think, is only playing this well because he was saving it for the playoffs. But it's not like he was sulking. It's not like he was being a bad presence for the team. He was just not playing as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think really when you're talking about locker room issues. There's very little that can kind of justify it. It's really, I think, you you know, you need to be a, you know, true superstar player to justify being that bad of a locker room presence as Rondo, by all accounts, is. Um, You know, at DeMarcus Cousins level, perhaps, you know, I think worth maybe the headache when you have that kind of skill and talent. But yeah, I don't think it's worth it for Rondo. I would, if I were the Bulls, I would still consider waiving him. And they have him on contract for one more year. But that being said, 
Uh, I think it's only three million guaranteed if they cut him by you know July. So I would still be considering it despite those two great games. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting comparison between Rondo and Dwayne right, Wade, right? Because I mean, we've seen Wade, of course, he's an aging superstar now, but we've seen him over the past few years of the Heat still play well, right? We know we know what he has, right? Whereas Rondo kind of went MIA for a little bit, right? I mean, he slipped a little bit onto the Mavericks. He was kind of under the radar there. So I don't think, you know, he doesn't really necessarily deserve the same, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt that, that, you know, you might give Dwayne Wade for the whole season because he hasn't been there for the last three years, right? So to suddenly come in now and be great for two games, um, but I, I think it's unfair. I don't think it necessarily uh, carries that much weight. That being said, uh, I wonder, I mean, Rondo's a slightly older player, but I mean, I think to baseball, a guy like Daniel Murphy, right, who was a great player for the Mets, got very hot in the Mets postseason run, hit seven home runs, unbelievable postseason. Mets don't resign him because they say, we know exactly what he is. He comes back with the Nationals and he's an MVP candidate. I mean, suddenly he's taking his game to the next level. Obviously, Rondo's slightly older, but I mean, is that, is that a possibility that Rondo's just refound his mojo and perhaps they should look on, to, they, you know, they should look to keep him because, you know, this playoffs, he's finally figured it out. The team is figured it out and now breaking that up would only do a disservice i mean it's weird because this is not the first time we've seen rondo be you know play at an incredibly high level he was a star he was you know one of the better point guards in the league and i think the league is in a lot of ways kind of moved past him with his you know inability to shoot but that being said we know that he has been able to do things at the highest level be one of the best distributors a really great defender just kind of you know one of the more energetic physical point guards. So I think that when you're looking at a guy like this, it's kind of weird to think, you know, for the last three years, you know, ever since his injury and just kind of the Celtics breakup, he just hasn't been the same. Um, so I, I mean, I don't think this portends him being going back to being a star player personally. I mean, I think you, you know, that's always the concern. And I do think he's one of those players that he's so smart. He's so, he just knows the game of basketball I think it also helps that he's playing against the Celtics. He played for Brad Stevens. I think he knows a little bit more of what they're doing. Um, so that might help him look even better. But I, w- I would lean more towards the way the Mets treated Murphy and you know perhaps still move on. That being said, he is under contract for one more year. It doesn't do you anything to keep him. It's not like the Bulls have um, you know max contracts they're waiting to hand out to other players. Yeah, I mean, it'll definitely be interesting to see where they go in the offseason. Um but I mean, yeah, the Bulls are an interesting team overall. But I mean, now if we jump over, uh, we talk briefly about the the you know the Cavs Pacers series. Uh, I mean, and we, what do we think there? Yeah, I mean, there's something that I've kind of been harping on all season is that the Cavs are playing LeBron too much. LeBron averaged 43.8 minutes per night, and kind of the one thing I've been grappling with is is it better to have done that for four games? You know, that's 43.8 out of 48 minutes. That's basically the whole game for four games into sweep than to average 35 and play six games. I mean, obviously the 35 over six is more total minutes, but I kind of wonder just like exhaustion from those games. It worries me about LeBron. I mean, he's shown no signs of slowing down, but he is 31 or 32 and, you know, has more NBA miles than most people ever do already. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting point. I mean, I think a couple of things that, you know, when I think about LeBron, I'm definitely guilty about this. I think the whole basketball world is guilty about this. Seeing LeBron as superhuman in the sense that LeBron can, you know, perhaps LeBron is just this physical specimen, you know, in terms of height, agility, jumping strength, and he can just do anything for a full basketball game. We've just, he's peak athleticism and LeBron can play as many minutes as he wants and he's still, you know, somewhere, uh, you know, in his prime, perhaps on the back end and he can still do it, right? And on the other hand, I think, you know, suggesting that perhaps it's better to play, you know, 35 minutes through six games, I think is is probably 
better. I think you're, you're probably right. I mean, the toll um, on your body, despite having extra minutes, is probably going to be less if, you know, there's you know, nights and days of rest in between. That being said, I think, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight and saying, sure, 35 through six games sounds reasonable. That being said, you know, uh, if you're Ty Lue and, and you're out there coaching, can you say, let's, uh, we'll, I'll just play him less and we'll win in six instead of four? I mean, that's not a guarantee, right? We tend to see these things as guarantees. You know, the Cavs are a much better team than the Pacers. They're guaranteed to win. I, I think it's probably difficult to do that. So I do think perhaps he would benefit from playing less, even if that, you know, that meant, you know, let's say, you know, they didn't have that remarkable second half comeback and now they won in five or six. I, I tend to agree with you there. I mean, that's a different situation being up three, you know, three Oh in the series. Um, but I do think it'd be tough to totally reduce his playtime, uh, you know, on the series as a whole. Yeah, I mean, those are also two games that they, you know, came close to losing. You know, the first one on the buzzer beater and game three with the the huge comeback, despite playing 43.8 minutes, still could have been a six-game series um, if a couple things had kind of gone the other way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. That just That's actually the thing that worries me the most about the Cavs in general is if they need LeBron to be playing 43.8 minutes despite the sweep. Um, just you know, to be pro- progressing through the first round doesn't look good for them. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. I mean, the question is how far can LeBron take them, right? I mean, it's hard to underestimate. It's hard to overestimate the impact he can have on the game. I mean, if he can can do that, I agree that it's definitely going to be you know tough on his, him physically to continue to perform at this level for you know playing this many minutes. But if he can do that, I mean, sure, we say we say we're worried, but I mean, if he has that ability, then 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 they're fine, right? So I mean, it's really hard to say. It'll, I think it'll be an interesting matchup against the Raptors or the Bucks. Um, because I think they both pose interesting issues, and we saw the Raptors play pretty well against the the Cavs in the few games last year in the conference finals. And I think the Bucks have kind of some individual ta- talent that can take over the game and perhaps pose problems. Although I do think the Cavs overall are a much better team. Yeah, they are. But that being said, I mean, I think the Bucks. I would be more afraid of the Bucks if I were the Cavs. You know, Giannis, I think, has the ability to outduel LeBron at this stage. Not that he's better, but he's just fresher. He's younger. Um, you know, I think that he could actually pose a really big threat. But let's move on with the last few minutes that we have. Uh, we got two teams with very uncertain futures in the Pacers and the Clippers. Jordan, which one do you want to talk about? Uh, you know, we've kind of been talking about the Clippers a bunch. Uh, we mentioned them earlier. I think we can briefly say uh, we think that even if they get past Utah, right? I mean, we think something's got to happen with this big three because you know they've been they've been good now for a while, but they haven't gotten over that hump. Uh, and so I think you and I both probably agree that you know one of these squads, you know, whether it's Blake after his injuries, Chris Paul, and you know, we talked about perhaps uh, he's an interesting free agent to go to the Bucks, uh, and even guys like JJ Redick. I mean, you know, do they bring them all back? You know, as for I mean, what's I guess a seventh straight year? Do they switch it up? I think we tend to agree that it's probably time to switch it up in some sense. But the Pacers are a little bit more. Maybe they're not talked about as often, but it's interesting, right? I mean, Paul George is a superstar. You know, he had that terrible injury, uh, but he's come back and he's he's a great, fantastic player, and we know he's a great player. And he's not old, and so the question is, I mean, what do they do? He's in his prime, right? He's he's has trade value. Do they trade? Do they try to really make something happen, or do they continue to try to build around him? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's an interesting team because despite you know their being an Eastern Conference contender for a few years back with that Roy Hibbert, David West core. They've completely transformed other than um, George. But that being said, they're not a young team. They didn't really rebuild. They retooled, you could say. Mm-hmm. And this is a team that, I mean, if you look at it, if you take Paul George out, they're really going to struggle. They're going to be bad. And Indiana is not the kind of market that can afford to be bad. If you're you know, Larry Bird, if you're you know, kind of running management on that team, you know that you just you can't afford to be a small market horrible team. That's how you just go to zero in the NBA. Um, 
So that being said, I think you have to really be seriously considering what you can get for him. Um, and if you can get the kind of parts to put around uh, Miles Turner that could make you into a good team again, you know, maybe not great, but at least contending for the playoffs. Um, but I don't know if that guy's out there or if that trade deal's out there because, you know, there's general kind of understanding that it seems like Paul George is set on going to the Lakers in two years when he gets free agency, which I personally find perhaps a questionable call on his part, um, given that they have not shown to be that they'll be able to put anything better around him than they can get in Indiana. But, you know, at least he wants to go home. He wants to play for the team that he grew up adoring. I get that at the very least. If you're going to be on a mediocre team, might as well do it on your terms. Um, but I don't know, Jordan, do you think that there's a team, you know, maybe Boston realizes they're struggling more, they put together an offer? Is there something that would make it worth it to you? Yeah, I mean, I think the first interesting question, first of all, I, I agree. I think the decision to go to L.A. is questionable, but also totally understandable at the same time, right? I mean, the Lakers are a big market team. You're from you're from that area. I totally understand that. I think the first question is, do they trade Paul George for picks or for, you know, picks and pieces? I mean, how are they trying to rebuild, right? Is it is it a matter of, I mean, so they have Miles Turner. Is it a matter of getting some picks and some young players? Is it a matter of getting, you know, a lot of picks? I, I wonder exactly what they could get for him. I, I think on the flip side of that, it's kind of a Knicks-esque, you know, holding on to your players for too long, and then they lose all their value. Um, so I, I think that if they're going to move him, it needs to be soon, you know, regardless of the LA move. Um, but I, I don't know what team is a good fit, to be honest, because I don't know what team is looking for just a Paul George and willing to give up a lot to get him. I'll give you one that comes to mind, the Denver Nuggets. It's a team mm. with a lot of assets. Um, you know, they could put together a package of, you know, perhaps Kenneth Freed, Emmanuel Moutier, and um, I don't know, Gallinari or Will Barton or someone um, who are all three good players. Well, Moutier may be a good player, but, you know, a young prospect. A or potential. Yeah, or a, a draft pick instead of one of those players. Um, to, you know, get kind of a star wing player to pair with uh, Nikola Jokic, their, you know, amazing big man. Um, so I think that's that would be an interesting proposition. The only thing that I can really think of that would really be a win-win for both teams. Um, I don't think Boston is going to be willing to give up one of their Nets picks for him, and I don't think they want to, you know, give up the players for him either. Actually, I think. Yeah, I mean the Nuggets are an interesting thing. I think there are a lot of teams out there that Paul George might fit well into. Right, a lot of teams that can use a wing player, a scorer, etc. But I mean, I wonder if you're the Pacers, are, are you happy with those players in return? I mean, is is that is that enough of a swing to? I mean, I don't mean to take away, from, but I mean, is that is that enough? Not that it's necessarily you know equal or unequal to Paul George, but is that enough to suddenly make Indiana say we feel a lot better about where we stand in terms of our future as a team? I mean, you're always going to be getting you know getting a terrible return when you trade a guy like Paul George, but I think they can't let him go for nothing. And if they don't feel that they can surround him with the right talent, I think they might have to do it. That being said, who knows? Maybe Miles, Turner's, Miles Turner takes a huge step next season. Maybe they sign one or two guys who kind of have you know breakout seasons. I don't know who that would be, but you know, and if all things click right, Paul George gets um, makes an All NBA team. They can sign him for that designated veteran exception, offer him significantly more money than any other team can. They lock him up long term. They're looking good. So you know, I think you don't want to give up too early. But you're also, you know, playing with fire by not doing that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Tough. It's like that's, I mean, they're, they're right on the they're job. right on the precipice there, right? I mean, it's it's not even like a, a you know Knicks mellow situation where I mean the Knicks mellow's time is gone, right? It's you know no matter what step KP te- you know t- takes, right? But if Miles Turner suddenly makes a huge step, I mean the Pacers were a playoff team, you know they didn't necessarily compete with the Cavs, but they were a playoff team. If Miles Turner takes a huge step, they add one piece, they're a good basketball team again, right? They're they're you know a four seed. 
So I, I think it's an interesting question. I think there's a lot of questions to be asked, and we'll get a lot of answers. I mean, free agency in basketball was wild uh, last it summer. It was very exciting. I mean, I mean, especially last summer in terms of the money spent, I mean, the names that were out there. I think it'll, it'll be exciting, and we look forward to that. But here we are now, Zach, at the end of our show. We get to give it to our version of Tony Reale, Leon Abani. Leon, tell us where we messed up. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Zach. <clears throat> As all of our loyal listeners know, nothing makes me happier than providing cool stats and letting you both know how you screwed up. So this week, I'm even happier than the Fiji National Rugby Sevens team. The Island Nation has commissioned a $7 bill to honor their National Sevens team that won gold at the Rio Olympics, the country's first ever Olympic medal of any kind. Although I favor the more traditional rugby union, I love to see rugby return to the Olympics and want to congratulate the flying Fijians for their victory and recognition. To start off with the corrections, Jordan was a little off early in the show, so allow me to provide the actual points per game averages for Kyle Lowry and Joe Johnson. Lowry is averaging 8.5 points in Raptors losses, not 8. Johnson is averaging 19.25 points per game in the playoffs, not 19, and averaged 9.2 points in the regular season, not 9. Zach, I uh, despise you for forcing me to make this correction, but the Yankees are not enjoying an eight-game win streak currently. That streak came between April 9th uh, and the 17th. The Yanks have actually won just two of their last five games. That error, though, pales in comparison to the next one I have to correct. Zach, Blake Griffin injured the plantar plate of his right big toe, not his patellar plate, because the patellar plate simply does not exist. Uh, Your anatomy professor next year is going to have their work cut out for them. (laughs) Moving on to the debate about banning athletes from dangerous activities. Interestingly, the latest NBA collective bargaining agreement outlawed not just hoverboards, but also fireworks, firearms, jet skiing, and trampoline jumping. As a New York football Giants and Yankee fan, I've seen three of my favorite players suffer extremely serious injuries from these causes in my lifetime, uh, That those players being Jason Pierre-Paul, Plaxico Burris, and Jabba Chamberlain. Uh, and finally, I'd like to end by pointing out that the Chicago Blackhawks are the first number one seed to get swept by a number eight seed in the first round of the playoffs in either NHL or N- NBA history after their 4-1 loss to the Nashville Predators a couple days ago. I'm sure all hockey fans outside Chicago share my joy in relaying that fact. Um, I would like to correct Leon Ibani in that the NBA has seen a sweep by a um, first overall seed getting swept by the eighth seed. I think it happened as recently as the Miami Heat getting swept um, with Shaq. I don't want to say 2008. Or 2006, I'm not sure. But. Yeah, not sure if they got swept or won the series. But, <laughs> Leon, thank you so much for your always insightful uh, and incredibly important corrections, as always. Uh, this is We Like Sports here with Jordan and Zach. Uh, tune in next week for our last show of the semester. This is 94.3 New Haven. Don't care who knows. From the pregame jokes to the wrap-up show. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Now toss me the pigskin. Now feed me the rock. Now give me the rock.